Hello and welcome to Fibonacci, the Red Olive Data Podcast, all about data and analytics, where we hear from leading specialists and get their take on the industry. I'm your host, Nikki Rudd. Today, I'm joined by Dave Granger, reinsurance statistician at MS Amlin, a leader in the property and casualty marine and reinsurance markets. Dave has worked in the IT and data space for several years and has been at MS Amblin for the past 12. We talk about the challenges around data and insurance in what is seen as a very traditional industry, but also where the opportunities lie for businesses like MS Amblin who want to use analytics and insights to future-proof their technology investments and bring reporting and business value to the entire organisation. Let's find out more. I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit about how you got into the world of data. I stumbled into the world of data back in probably 1990, 1991. I started a job in insurance, in the insurance industry, uh, when I was 17 as a accounts clerk. And as is the way in insurance businesses, I was working for a very small company. They got bought out by a large motor syndicate back in 1990. I'd started to be the computer person in the accounts department. So I was playing with the PC that had been installed. Obviously, we all had green screens in those days. And my boss put me forward to the IT. Well, it wasn't called IT in those days. It was called data processing. Right? Just, I'm that old, right? So um, I got put forward to just speak to the head of that department. And my boss, Jerry Bircham, at the time, I interviewed with him. He was a massive cricketer, as I was. So my interview was pretty much about how fast I bowled and you know, what number did I bat, etc. So I got my job through uh, Sporting Connection, really, and yeah, really enjoyed working with him. He really sort of shaped my early part of my career with a lot of young men. We worked in a computer process department, probably had about 40 young men. I mean, just to give you an idea of how old we were, one of my good friends at the time, Simon, he was 25, and we nicknamed him Old Chap. Right, so it just gives you <laughs> an idea of, you know, basically 18 to 22-year-old boys trying to learn how to develop computer systems. And I had a natural affliction to reporting and just started building reports for the finance team and then started to build out stats, databases, etc. from there. And so that was my sort of first introduction into data and what it can do for businesses. You've been at MS Hamlin for a while and done this huge reporting and re-reporting sort of project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So I've had a, a long career at MS Hamlin. I've been there for over a decade. So when it comes to data, I know where most of the dead bodies are. So yeah, there's lots of challenges with systems. Right? So they start off with a great intention, whether that be an insurance application to store data or for platforms to build data. And unfortunately. I think one of the biggest challenges with data is that the technology teams struggle to keep up with the demand of change that the businesses want to do. So a new class of business wants to be set up by the business to do that properly on the platform. You know, the IT teams will put a proposal together, spend you know, weeks prepping that. And obviously, a lot of the time we've experienced over many years is that budgets just aren't there to do platforms as well as we should, and therefore they go for the, the quick win to get the business classes up and running. So what that means is, is that they hijack the system. They'll put some business logic 
around the system that doesn't exist in the system. So they'll prefix a policy with a specific code. So therefore, they all know what those policies are, but the system doesn't, the downstream platforms don't, et cetera, et cetera. So part of the landscape that we've been learning through and evolving is understanding those things and try to transition that into the reporting layer so that everyone gets that single version of the truth. Amlin as an organization has gone through many big changes over the last 10 years. It's gone from independent legal entities that are master of their own destinies reporting into a group PLC business to the group PLC business reshaping itself to have more control over those legal entities and bringing them together to get best of breed across their their insurance entities and then subsequently at the end of that process we are bought by our parent company msi and they just because there's no longer a need for the plc business that got disbanded a couple of years ago so now we're back to the legal entities being in charge of their own destiny again in that sense so we're going from a sort of constantina of a data world in that we we bring data together for group-wide reporting. Now we're splitting it apart for legal entity reporting. I'm sure at some point that they'll come back together again, right? So we we have all of these challenges. And what that means is that we have lots of disparate underwriting systems and operational systems because people make their own choices about what they want to do for their business. And they'll share information, especially when we look at our reinsuring programs where we want to reinsure our inward risks. So we still need to share that data. So therefore, trying to build a reporting, you know, data architecture platform over that landscape is very complex, time-consuming, and and ultimately very expensive. So, you know, the things that we've we've learned over the years, I think most data professionals know these lessons. Right? It's just actually having the time and the team sizes around you to do the best practices. I would say we're. 50% of the way of our journey to get to that single enterprise-wide platform that can be trusted and used by all, all users of that data, be it that individual legal entity or partnerships between the legal entities to share data. So we've made some good progress over the last two, three years, especially with with the Red Olive uh, business helping us on some key projects. But yeah, we've still got quite some way to go. Obviously, it's massive and it is changing, but where do you typically start with a project? And do you have your own way of thinking about it? Like you say, you've learned over the years and sort of honed down from mistakes made. And I always think that it's that difficult thing of actually having the end goal of what do you actually want it and finding out from all the different stakeholders within the business how they would use the kind of information that the data shows. But do you have a process that you've now adapted so that it works or you know, what's your approach? I think we're we're evolving our processes. So again, because of the disbandment of the PLC business in the last two years, I was part of a what was the business MI function, which was it was a PLC function, so it was a group wide reporting function. So with the disbandment of that PLC business, we've now evolved into essentially having data functions within each legal entity. And so we're all learning so parts of that team got federated out into the separate legal entity teams. We're all still evolving our ways of working, but I think the challenge you have with data programs 
is you set out your vision around what does the end goal look like? And I think with individual programs, that's very difficult to do. I think the lessons that we've learned, I think, from the recent programs we've run, and we're, we're starting some more at the moment, is that individual programs contribute to your data architecture landscape, and you may have a, an ultimate vision. So yeah, from my perspective, I'm responsible for the business intelligence tooling and the reporting platforms that support those across the organization. So I only want one business intelligence tool, I only want one reporting platform because therefore that's cheaper, easier to maintain. People can be focused on supporting those platforms much easier. At the moment, we've got multiple business intelligence tools. We've got multiple platforms. Projects and programs deal with those individual things. So they're going to contribute to our ultimate vision of having single platforms that can be used easily, etc. So I think starting up projects and or programs, we're starting to really drive out data piece as early as we can into PIDs, etc. So we get programs and projects talking to the right people. I think that's the key thing. So typically you have in big projects and programs is that we need support. So we need support from third parties. So we'll we'll bring in a partner like Red Olive that will have the right skill set to help us build our platform, but that not necessarily have their understanding of the data landscape that Amlin has, right? So that's a very difficult thing to pick up first and foremost. So if we're not careful, what tends to happen is that the projects and programs tend to work in silos because they're delivering their specific part of the jigsaw puzzle. And without knowing the Amlin data infrastructure and how things work necessarily, you can look at data structures in a database and see exactly how things work. But actually knowing the nuances of how that data is actually being used is a real challenge. So from my perspective, the great thing that I've got from working with Red Olive especially their lead consultants, Mark Fulgoni and David Ciaro, is uh, our engagement model with the stakeholders across our organisation. What does that look like? Because we're a business-as-usual team. Too often we just get, oh, you know how to do stuff, can you just do this for us? And then we'll go off and do things very quickly, and that doesn't ultimately build a proper relationship out with our with our stakeholders. So we're, we're now really evolving towards detailed engagement requests so they understand the full implications of what they're asking because just add that thing, that table, that field to the platform and we'll be fine isn't necessarily the right thing to do. So, yeah, we've got lots of learning to do. I think, as ever, we never have enough people to do that. So that's another another challenge for us is how we build up our internal teams again to support the demand and be able to really articulate how that benefits the business. Obviously, within the insurance space, it's seen as very much a sort of, I would say, traditional business in the way that actually, you know, sort of data flows and how an organisation is sort of set, if you like. How have you managed to sort of pull everyone together in thinking differently in this kind of new way of working? Is it challenging them up front about what they want the data to tell you? Is it a communication to sort of a bit of education we're very much at the start of our data maturity level. So the insurance industry is typically slow moving for change. So we have a lot going on, but it takes time to do that. The RFS 17 
accountancy regulations that are coming in. Yeah, that's been a big, slow-moving beast for us to move towards. Our legal entities have aspirations of being data-driven companies. They're very aware of the disruptors in the marketplace, and they really want to evolve. There's some really good initiatives going across the organization around robotics and data science. Our data science team are doing some good stuff with specific parts of the business in our London digital hub. So there's definitely the right steps forward. I think the challenge that you have is that you have to have the platform in place so that you can support the business so they can take that journey. So too much time is being spent to actually just deliver the core foundations of that I was talking about around you know we've got multiple business intelligence tools that some people still have to rely upon because not all the data is available in other reporting platforms and other business intelligence tools so we need to get that structure in place and foundations in place for them so that we can accelerate that data-led culture right which is what everyone is crying out for in our organization how do you do that in such a sort of large organization? You know, so that whole digitization and it affecting the industry as well as kind of, you know, other regulations and compliance, you know, sort of guidelines and things like that. Do you break it down into steps or have you got a kind of, we've got a three-year plan? <laughs> I think that's a really good challenge because obviously we've got the legal entities having their own business change initiatives. And I think that's where the, the criticality is for us right now as an organization is that we need to ensure that we've got the right people plugged into all of those projects because some of those will be completely driven and led by the business and it's making sure that we've got the right people with touch points on there so that they can steer that in the right so we make sure that we get the best benefit of those initiatives into our data architecture platform i think it's quite easy for the business teams to just drive forward they see these things. They want these things. We've all got handheld devices that have got so much information at our fingertips. So why can't we have our insurance data at our fingertips, right? So that's not a too difficult sell. It's actually trying to – the sell is actually doing it in a constructive manner so that everyone understands where that single source of the truth is. So as far as how we're doing it at MS Amlin, we've got – as I said, local data functions in each entity. So we've now got a you know, hub and spoke model around the data organization. So we've got these data functions that are responsible for an interesting point you said around uh, the regulatory demands. You know, that is becoming more and more stringent and will continue to do so. Just seeing how the banking sector's gone over the last decade, I'm sure insurance sector will follow there as well. So it's really critical, I think, for us to be able to show that we've got control over our data. So there's been some really strong project initiatives over the last 18 months around data lineage, data capture, data management. And they have been at the forefront of how we tie everything together. So how we're doing that as an organization, I think we've had some really great support from Red Olive to show us how to do that in a better way. So as you'll know, the Wearscape platform that Red Olive are very skilled in, we've used that to help us support our, our data lineage. That's given us a good starting point out of the box. We've got a really great data capture within our InfoSphere tool, an IBM tool, which has got our business glossary and data glossary in there. And what we've been able to do is, using the skills of Red Olive, is be able to tie that platform up with our 
reporting world, and we're really starting to evolve our reporting platforms from a regulatory perspective to actually showcase that we do have good governance over our data so that when we do our returns to the regulators, we'll be in a position so when they come and say, right, show us your data controls, we'll be able to do it in the future as a you know, push of a button and it'll just be part of our processes. There's obviously like the current what's going on, but there's also the sort of, like you say, the future of when you're going to be asked stuff. And also you've got the kind of, you know, sort of big trends in technology that are sort of pushing. With the emergence of machine learning and, you know, sort of applying data to solve problems, what do you see as some of the big areas of opportunity to apply machine learning in the insurance sector? Is that something that you're currently looking at? You mentioned earlier about the data science team doing some interesting projects. Is there something you could share on that? I certainly think that's definitely on our radar. I'm not so sure specifically about machine learning at the moment. I know there's been some really good use cases in the claim space, certainly in the in the insurance sector. We are obviously always looking at evolving our processes. One thing that I know that we're starting to look at is around our fraud catching capabilities. So I think we're looking at seeing how potentially advanced analytics can help us identify fraudulent claims quicker. I think that's probably going to be the best space in the immediate term for us to to look at that. But yeah, I think the data science team have been doing some good work around looking at our losses and our risks that we write. So they've been looking at how we can protect ourselves better with better information. So we now have a modeling tool on our marine business that checks where the vessels go. That data is all available, the maritime data. So we've plugged that into our risk models and they've done some really great work with the marine underwriters to capture more premium is probably the best way to describe that, where we, we're finding out that vessels are visiting excluded territories so they don't go into but they do, right? So that's been some really insightful stuff that the data science team have done. I think from a machine learning perspective, I think once we've got our platform more organized and we're and consolidated, I think that then allows us to better make use of that type of technology. Where are the biggest challenges and opportunities with the data and extracting it? You know, because I'm guessing that picture's building all the time with the amount of data sets that are coming in and the more information you're collecting. Yes, I think that's a really interesting point because obviously the businesses are going through a lot of change at the moment, either through you know, performance revaluation. We've had some tough years as a as an insurer, reinsurer. Certainly the last five years, it's been a very difficult marketplace for us. So there's been a lot of consolidation going on. So we are, I suppose... Getting ourselves leaner is probably the best way to be fit for future. So I think we've got these big programs like IFRS 17 that are preparing us for the future. So we'll be looking at underwriting our books of business in a different way. Once that's settled down going into, I think, next year is the first year that we'll start reporting on an IFRS 17 basis. That will then allow us to look at opportunities. And I think the key thing is the growth that the entities will be looking at. So to do that, I know we've got, as an example, we've got some online platforms coming online this year and plugging those into our back-end architecture is going to be a key piece, certainly from our financial and reporting perspective. Once you've got that in place, then then our analytics can then start to go to work there. So, yeah, lots of challenge. I think the, it's ensuring that our platforms 
can keep up to pace with uh, what the business wants. The data function and the IT teams will always be behind the business decisions because some of them will be you know, hugely confidential. So IT teams won't even know that there may be a, a small merger on the card or an acquisition that's happening. But I think the platforms we've got in place at the moment do allow us to onboard data as quickly as we can. So, yeah, there's lots of interesting scope, I think, that's coming down the pipeline uh, next year. Do you say that that just being able to be a bit more agile with those platforms is kind of opening up opportunities or maybe managing frustrations where in the past perhaps, you know, the IT department would have specced out a system that even if it wasn't fit for purpose after five years, for example, you still had to get the ROI from that investment. Do you think that sort of changed in the last few years? I think that's a really good question. I think obviously there's always challenge where things don't deliver the whole scope. We consistently see big aspirations with programs. And this is why I was saying to my earlier point that programs shouldn't be drivers of aspirations. The aspirations should be there and programs and projects should contribute to that roadmap. I think too many times programs try to do those things by themselves and I think the key thing is having the tooling available to be more agile around data ingestion, et cetera, but ensuring that it's done in a strategic way. So you know, one of the reasons why we like the Wearscape platform, the tooling, when we selected it a couple of years ago, is the fact that it's essentially technology agnostic in that if we've got aspirations to move to the cloud, we're a SQL server shop at the moment. And you know, I think there's definite aspirations for us to get to the cloud Using the Wearscape tooling, it means that my team only have to learn one tool and we can then deploy it. It's not going to be seamless and it won't get everything right in one go, but certainly the bulk of the platform will be created by the tooling and then we'll just be left with the tricky 20% just to get right. So I think that future proofs our data platforms that we can move at the times. And if someone decides that the cloud is the best way to go for everything that we do, then we don't need to go and reinvent the wheel in the cloud. We can get there certainly much quicker. I think the cloud is certainly something that enables us to be more agile in the future. You know, we can stand up proof of concepts much quicker going forward. Obviously, you mentioned about Red Olive and working with them and Wearscape being kind of a key tool for you. You've obviously been working with them for a couple of years, I think. Was it useful having external consultants coming in and challenging the way that you were thinking? I'm not just sure they challenged the way we were thinking, right? So my experience of working with Red Olive was that actually we were quite aligned in what we were thinking. It was actually the execution. The platforms that we've built so far with the Wearscape technology, it was to support our financial reporting. That is uh, got a heavily normalized database at the heart of our data capture as you'd expect it needs to be very strong because it's dealing with our, our financial transactions it supports our general ledger it supports our actuarial reserving process so that platform itself is great at what it does and obviously it being highly normalized means that it's not great for reporting and analytics so we needed to build out you know reporting marks that would support easier reporting when we engaged with red olive initially it wasn't a case of showing us new things other than actually look at this tool that 
we can deliver traditional reporting marks that you're used to working with via this tool. And we did a proof of concept that was about a week long. The biggest challenge of that week was actually getting people logged in into our platform because we were in lockdown during COVID. So that was a real challenge, just being able to get someone to log into our network to connect to some of our data. But I had a very light touch on the POC, but Mark was able to demonstrate how quickly the tool could help us transition highly normalized data structures into more typical star schema data dimensional modeling structures. Very quickly, the built-in documentation of the Wearscape platform and the data lineage tracking made it very, very appealing as a tool to move forward. The tool itself, you know, when I was looking at it, I could probably write the code and my team could write the code it generates just as quickly. But the key thing was really around the documentation, the data lineage tracking, the ease of use of the tool was quite a key thing as well. So it was definitely a put your ego aside of, well, we can write this code anyway, right? But that tool, yeah, can't write code as well as I can. But and it's not magic. It doesn't do everything you'd you'd want to do it out of the box. There's always a nuance with tooling. But for me, I was really sold on the on the ease of use of the tool and how quickly Mark was able to demonstrate that. Now, obviously, Mark's very experienced Wearscape consultant, so not everyone's a Mark Fulgoni, right? But for me, it was a key selling point of that platform and how we could make use of it going forward. How quickly could you see the value of kind of implementing the system? I mean, is it kind of a very quick sort of that we're running before we walk it that fast? It was literally at the end of the POC. So it was a week. I was like, right, I'm sold on, on the benefits the tool bring. The project that was about to embark on was a challenging one anyway. Again, it come back to projects and stuff being run in isolation with other things that are going on is always a challenging space. So the platform that we built together took longer to do them was first thought because I knew it was a very complex project, but other people hadn't really grasped the fact that it was a challenging space we were working in. But I think the tooling is great. It's making sure you understand the pitfalls of where you're starting with. You know, what are your data sources, et cetera? How complex are they? Does it have all the data in the platform that you're sourcing to build the analytics that you need to? Now, one of our challenges was, as I said before, we've got data in many different reporting platforms and data sources and business intelligence tools. So not everything's in one place. And that's the journey that we're still on. On a completely different note, London's Financial Services Centre was a big point of discussion in the run-up to Brexit. I'm going to mention it <laughs> with all the political shenanigans going on at the moment. As someone working for a London insurer, do you think Brexit has made much difference to your organisation? And if so, what? It certainly cost us a lot of money as a first point. So as part of the Brexit deal, we obviously had to transition all of the risks that we've written in Europe to Lloyd's Brussels. So Lloyd's of London has set up a, a Lloyd's Brussels office. Now, I don't know all of the insurance side of that, but by law, we had to transition all of our European risks from Lloyd's of London to Lloyd's Brussels. So, yeah, we had a dedicated part seven project. So part seven is actually the Lloyd's contract, I believe, that did the transition. That's been a really challenging project. Again, we come back to 
our data is not in one place. So therefore, how do we get all of that data? So very briefly, most of our European business that we broke was through a property and casualty business in the UK that used four systems for its underwriting. So getting all of that data out of those systems in one place in a format that Lloyd's platforms could consume has been a very challenging space and it continues to be today. So I think from an actual insurance perspective, from a business level, it's probably not been too traumatic, but from a technology perspective, it's a real challenging thing to do. And obviously, it was all new, right? It was new for Lloyd's to understand what was needed. So we had very evolving timelines and requirements. So requirements would change. The Lloyd's marketplace is obviously a great place to do business, but all insurers and all brokers do things slightly different. Again, there's not one single Lloyd's market platform that everyone uses. We've all, yeah, insurers and, and brokers have their own. So try to find that common ground around how insurers write their business has been a challenge for the Lloyd's platforms to receive. But I think the feedback I've had from certainly the project team that was working on it is the collaboration between the Lloyd's syndicates was really strong on this initiative because no one's ever done it before and they had you know tight deadlines to so it's january 21 was the drop down deadline date that this was happening and we only had you know effectively a year to do it so it's been a real challenging uh, space but so far it's been pretty well done so apart from costing a lot of money i'm not sure what the the benefits of brexit were for the for the insurance industry I was going to say, still not mentioned within the office, the B word. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, we started off with how you got into the sort of world of data. I just wanted to ask if somebody is thinking about coming in, finishing uni, or they've decided that actually data is what they want to be doing, what advice would you give a younger data professional starting out? What skills do you think they should be kind of honing and what kind of thing do you think they should be looking for to do? It's a really good question. We've had some graduates that come from another third party that have onboarded into Amlin quite recently. So I've spent the last couple of years, they've been supporting us on a on a reporting project as well and i've been talking to them quite a bit actually around you know what do you like doing what what are the things that you you want to do and i think uh, it's a really interesting space data the first thing is do you love it because if you don't love it then it's a difficult boring space to be in but i love data i've just grown up with maths in my head as a small boy so i played as i mentioned earlier in the about my first sort of data or IT job interview. I love cricket and football, so sports. There's tons of data in sports, especially cricket. Coming out of uni, what what other things to go for? So I think there's the cool, fun stuff to look at. So you'll hear machine learning, you'll hear Python, you'll hear R. But actually just understanding data structures and understanding the business domains that you're working in, that goes a long way. So the technology side of data is one thing, but understanding the business domain you're in i think is the key differentiator between being a just a person who builds and does reporting as an example or someone who can actually make a difference and take a lead in 
in the organization you're working is really understanding the domain knowledge so that you can take your skill sets you've got from your university courses and stuff and you'll be able to run with it so yeah that's my my main advice get to know that domain knowledge that the business teams understand themselves I think that's a really valuable piece of knowledge because technology changes and evolves the whole time. But actually, if you can use that as a tool to actually see the bigger picture. Yeah, no, I think that's the key thing. You can learn a new technology skill. Even I, as an old man, learned some new stuff in the last few years. You know, Wearscape Red. If you've got lots of technology skills, you're able to just flip technology and understand it to the domains you're in. So you really need that domain knowledge to help you do that, in my humble opinion. Some interesting points there about setting some objectives for your data projects at the outset and using tools to help, not hinder. Join us for the next episode of Fibonacci, the Red Olive Data Podcast, where we'll be joined by another data expert sharing their thoughts on the latest trends in AI and big data, along with some great hints and tips. Make sure you subscribe to Fibonacci, the Red Olive Data Podcast, from wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Vicky Rudd. See you next time.